this week on Hope for the Broken. We are called to live a life of holiness. We're called to be different, to walk according to the Spirit. And as a believer, possessing the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to be led by Him. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that you are to try on your own willpower in order to do this. That's not what Paul is teaching here. You can't walk the right path on your own. He says, instead, allow the Holy Spirit to be your guide. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called What's in a Breath? Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part four titled, The Breath of the Holy Spirit. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to two places again this morning. Uh, John chapter 20 and then Galatians chapter 5. We're going to begin in John chapter 20 and then quickly move to Galatians chapter 5. As we continue our teaching series that we started a few weeks ago uh, entitled What's in a Breath? And we're taking a look at the moment's scripture where it makes reference to the breath of God and the power that is contained in the very breath of God. And so, so far in this teaching series, we've taken a look at, at uh, the breath of life that God breathed into humanity. And then we took a look at the breath of God's word. And then last week, we took a look at Jesus's final breath on the cross and the power thereof. And today we're going to take a look at the breath of the Holy Spirit, the breath of the Holy Spirit. This coming Friday is Veterans Day. And uh, I'm, I'm just curious, this is a, t- a day where we set aside and we honor those that have served our country and our armed forces. I'm just curious if there's anyone here that has served or is serving in that capacity. Would you just stand so that we can recognize and honor you? Would you guys take a moment to stand here this morning? Let's uh, thank you guys so much. On behalf of our church family, we say, we say thank you. Uh, my dad uh, was drafted into the Army during uh, the height of the Vietnam War. And by God's grace, he didn't have to serve in Vietnam. Instead, he was sent uh, to Korea, and he served between North and South Korea. Uh, he served on a piece of land, a stretch of land that's 160 miles long by two and a half miles wide, 400 square miles, roughly the size of Titus County. And that stretch of land is arguably the most dangerous area in the world. What is ironically called the demilitarized zone, or the DMZ, plays host to 2.2 million landmines. As you can imagine, navigating an area that small with that many landmines can be extremely challenging. Well, I'm here to tell you that we too today, we are navigating landmines. Not physical landmines, but spiritual. We are engaged in a spiritual battle against light and darkness. But the good news is that we have been equipped with the greatest piece of technology. We've been 
if you are in Christ, been given the gift of the Holy Spirit of God that helps us to navigate this life in and through all the spiritual battle and all the spiritual landmines that are calling for our destruction. The Holy Spirit leads us, protects us, guides us if we listen to his voice and follow his lead from those landmines. But the challenge is, is learning how to listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks to us and heeding that and, and being willing to, to follow his lead. And so I want to, in our study today, to learn how to navigate our spiritual landscape. My goal is that as we learn about the breath of the Holy Spirit, that we would learn to listen, that we would tune our ears to what he's speaking to us and how he is leading us and that we would be obedient into allowing him to guide us. So read along with me in your copy of God's Word. We're going to begin in John chapter 20, verse 22, but allow me to set the stage before I read the passage. In John chapter 20, Jesus has already been crucified. That's John chapter 19. John chapter 20 begins and opens up with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene, on that first Easter morning, met Jesus in the garden by the tomb. And she left her meeting with him and ran and told the disciples. And the disciples were gathered in the upper room. And Jesus met with the disciples when he went through the door of that upper room. And when I say went through the door, I quite literally mean through the locked door. And he revealed himself to them and and he showed them his wounds from his crucifixion. And he began to challenge them and telling them that I'm going to send you out to be a light into the world. And as soon as he said that, we pick up with verse 22 of John chapter 20. It says this, and when he had said this, he breathed. Jesus breathed on them, the disciples, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now in this verse, and in our passage of study in Galatians chapter 5, we see four principles to being led by the breath of the Holy Spirit of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at those four principles. The first one that I want to talk about is the reception, the reception, the receiving. Here in John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus breathes on his disciples. Now, I I know the title of this morning's message is the breath of the Holy Spirit, and this is Jesus doing the breathing. But the one thing that seems to be common in the Bible all throughout the pages of the Scripture is the close tie to the reference of God's breath being the Holy Spirit of God. And so when you see that, when you come across it, a lot of times God's breath is referring to the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus breathes here, he is God, and therefore the breath he breathes is highly symbolic of what is to come for the disciples. The Holy Spirit is to come. And while they're in their upper room, the disciples are still awaiting what Jesus had promised them in in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. You'll remember in those texts that, that Jesus teaches about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's to your advantage that I leave. Because when I leave, the Father will send to you another helper, a comforter that we know to be the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples at this point, in John chapter 20, verse 22, they were living in a biblical principle known as the already, not yet. So obviously, these men that were present in that room have placed their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord. They are saved. They are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but they have yet to receive 
the Holy Spirit. They're living in the already not yet tension between the fulfillment of the old covenant and the working, the full working out of the new covenant. The Holy Spirit had yet to come, you see. And Jesus tells them that I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that that will eventually happen days later from Jesus saying this very words in what is called Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the believers there in Jerusalem. And there's this manifestation of the Spirit as they're all huddled together. And so what Jesus had promised, when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come, did exactly that. At Pentecost. And so I want us to look at that in Acts chapter 2, verse 33. When the Holy Spirit descends on, on Pentecost, Peter, remember, Peter who just denied him days later is emboldened by the enjoyment of the Holy Spirit and he begins preaching. And this is in the middle of his sermon. He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. He's refer- referencing Jesus having ascended to heaven and having received From the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is when the believers first received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now in John chapter 20, when Jesus breathed on them, that was not Pentecost, you understand. That was coming days later. But what Jesus was doing in that moment was giving an object lesson of what was to come. The reception of of the Holy Spirit. Just as God breathed life into Adam at the beginning of time, at his creation of Adam, he breathed the breath of life into him, and just like God, through the breath of of, of God, revived the valley of the dry bones, and just as Jesus is breathing in this moment, the Holy Spirit would enter them, the breath of God would enter them at Pentecost, and what was just days away from Jesus speaking this. And so it's highly symbolic of what Jesus is telling is going to happen. Now, the reason why I mentioned this reception is because it's key, vital. If we are to live victoriously in Christ, we must have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. It is impossible to navigate the spiritual landmines that are set before us on a daily basis without depending upon the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We in and of ourselves do not have the power, nor do we have the ability to do that apart from being led by God. So the question then becomes, when and how do we receive the Holy Spirit? The Bible teaches that though there the first believers received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, from that moment on, every new believer received the Holy Spirit at the moment of their salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 teaches us that. It says that when you heard the message, when you heard the gospel, and when you received the Lord Jesus at that moment, the Holy Spirit took up residence within you. And so you can receive the Holy Spirit, and you do receive the Holy Spirit when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So the first way that we navigate this spiritual landscape, this spiritual battle, and the first way in which we are led by the Holy Spirit is by surrendering, receiving Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Now the second principle that we see here about being guided by the Holy Spirit is the rule. Flip over to Galatians chapter 5 as we look at the rule, the the command, the call by which we are to operate. Got the reception, now the rule. Verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. 
He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the command, the rule, the urging, is not to just receive the Holy Spirit by receiving Jesus, but to walk by the Spirit. A couple of words that are vitally important into understanding this rule of walking by the Spirit. First, the word walk. What is unique about that word walk for you fellow grammar nerds in the room? Anybody grammar nerds in the room with me? Okay, great. We're all here together, you and me. We're the nerds together. So for the grammar nerds, this word walk is present active imperative. What that means is that it is imperative, means that it is a command. In other words, this is not a good idea, not a suggestion, not an opinion, not even a proposition. This is a command for us to follow. Paul is saying, walk by the Spirit. That is what we are to do. We must walk by the Spirit. It being present and active means that it is a command that is expected to be followed not just once, but as an ongoing condition. See, the life in Christ The life lived by the Holy Spirit is a continuous, regular, habitual way of life. That's what's vitally important here as we understand what Paul is saying to us. Consider it by thinking about visiting your doctor. When I go to the doctor and the doctor does some blood work and he comes to me and he says, Chris, listen, your your cholesterol is a little high. You need to eat less fatty foods. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just on your next meal, eat less fatty foods. I know how you guys think because I think the same way. What's he saying? Chris, from this moment until you go to glory, you need to eat less fatty foods. It's, It's to be an ongoing heeding of this instruction. The same idea is true here. When Paul says, walk by the Spirit, from the moment in which you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are to live a new life. You're to live a life not on your own understanding, but you are to do so by being led by the Holy Spirit of God. The word walk is also in second person plural. That means you all. What Paul is saying in in modern East Texan is this. Y'all better get your act together and you better walk by the Spirit, right? That's what he's saying. Walk by the Spirit. It's a command. Now, the second word of importance is this term spirit. And I don't know if this is the case in your translation, but it is in my translation that the word spirit is capitalized. Do you guys see that? That's important because it's referring to a specific person. It's not a mystical force, right? It's a specific person. It's not a feeling It's not an atmosphere, and it's not a rah-rah team spirit, you understand. It is walking by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, we are called to live a life of holiness. We are not called to walk in the ways of this world. We're called to be different, to be set apart, to walk according to the Spirit And as a believer, possessing the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to be led by Him. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that you are to try on your own willpower in order to do this. That's not what Paul is teaching here. You can't walk the right path on your own. He says, instead, allow the Holy Spirit to be your 
guide. The Spirit, and the Spirit alone is able to produce works of righteousness in you. Our good deeds, hear me, does not come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit stirring in us and working in and through us. It's why uh, Jesus said, be a light into the world so that the world may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father in heaven. It is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us that we carry out what he's calling us to as we're obedient to him, that God the Father receives the glory for taking sinful vessels like you and me and using him for his good and for his purpose and for his glory. So, so we are to walk by the Spirit. So then the question becomes, why is this imperative? Why is it imperative? Why is it such a command, a strong command, that we are to walk by the Spirit? Well, it's a jungle out there. And there are landmines everywhere. And God desires to help you navigate in and through it. And if we do it on our own, it is living a life that will lead to a path of destruction. But being led by the Holy Spirit will lead to a path of life and godliness. So we've talked about the reception of the Holy Spirit by way of salvation. And we've talked about the rule to follow. Now let's learn about the rivalry that exists. There's a rivalry. I mentioned that we are engaged in a battle. Landmines everywhere. And it is a result of the battle that exists in the heavenly realms between good and evil, God and Satan, our flesh and the Spirit. It's known as spiritual warfare in the scriptures. And listen, let me just tell you, if you think that you are not engaged in a spiritual conflict, you are deceived, my brothers, sisters. There is evidence of this conflict all around us. We feel it even in the physical realm. We understand that we are at war in the spiritual realm. There's a rivalry. Verse 17 of Galatians 5 says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. You see the rivalry between the two, right? Opposed and standing against. The rivalry between goodness, holiness, and our sinful flesh. You know one of the things that makes college football so much better than the NFL? Well, there's many things, but one of the things is the rivalries that exist between schools. I mean, we we have the Texas OU rivalry, right? Uh, OU is having a down year. It's going to be okay for you Sooner fans, Uh, but getting beat by Texas is really embarrassing. Um, and And then you have LSU. Any LSU fans in the room, right? Taking it over Alabama yesterday. That's incredible, right? And we know of all these intense rivalries, and there's, there's, there's even trophies surrounding this. There's the golden hat for the Texas uh, Red River rivalry, right? I think it used to be called the, the, what, the Red River Shootout. It's now the Red River Rivalry, and you get the golden hat. Listen, hear me out. There's no greater conflict that exists than that which battles for our souls. That which happens in the heavenly realms. The rivalry between our spirit and our sinful flesh. Paul said it best in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then again in verse 21, he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close 
at hand. Can you relate to this rivalry? Can you relate to this conflict? I know I can't. The reason why it's important for us to receive the Holy Spirit by way of salvation, and the reason why it's important for us to follow the rule is because of the conflict, the rivalry in which we all face, the battle between our flesh and the Spirit. Paul says that we battle against our flesh. He's not talking about skin and bones, you understand. He's talking about that word, translated as flesh, means the human nature. Our nature, just like a car is out of alignment, has a tendency to pull off the road. Our human flesh, our human nature has a tendency, we're bent towards sin and and destruction and to get off track. And the Holy Spirit's job is to make war against our human nature, to keep us on the track. Paul says, to keep us from doing what we want to do. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's to bring a halt to that which what you and I have a natural tendency to choose. Now, this is a good thing. A lot of times we think, wait a minute, here in America, we're, we're all about freedom and yes and amen, but, but we say, well, if I want to do it, then I want to do it, right? Well, not necessarily. It's not always edifying for you to do what you want to do. For example, I'm a dad that has two daughters. If I did what I wanted to do, there would be no hairy-legged boys around, amen? Either that or I would be in jail, one of the two, right? That's what I want to do. But it is good. Have you ever had the the Holy Spirit, I call him the filter many times, keep you from saying what you really want to say that you know would be destructive? Sometimes the filter doesn't activate for me, and it always leads to destruction. But the Holy Spirit is there to keep us from doing the things that we want to do, and that is a great and wonderful thing. So how do you know? How do you know whenever you're walking by the Spirit, and how do you know when you're walking by the flesh? Well, Paul says it's obvious. In in verses 19 through 24, he says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. It's obvious. What are the works of the flesh? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. These are carnal struggles of the flesh, not godly. Yet we see evidence of this everywhere we look in our culture, in our day and time. We see evidence of people living according to the flesh. What else? Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. These are relational struggles, works of the flesh. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. That's a double warning. I want to take heed of this. I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure we would, if we're all honest, say, uh, I see myself in those lists. What does that mean? Well, if we are a person that continually operates according to the flesh, what that means is that we do not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We are not people who are saved. We are not people who have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ in our lives and desiring to live a life of holiness. There's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in that. And the Holy Spirit is a seal of our salvation. It is proof of our salvation. And if you don't have that, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because the way in which we inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is to be born again. 
to bow the knee to Jesus, to surrender to him as the Lord and Savior of our life. And when we do, we receive the promised Holy Spirit. But just like the sins of the flesh are obvious, so also is the fruit of the Spirit. But look at beginning at verse 22 of Galatians 5. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Put the flesh to death with its passions and its desires. Now we could spend an entire series of sermons looking at each of the fruit of the Spirit But as for today, I just want us to see the drastic contrast between the works of the flesh and the work of the Spirit. You see the rivalry. You see the tension. You see the difference. So we've talked about the reception of the Holy Spirit by way of salvation, the rule to follow the Spirit, and the rivalry our flesh has with the Spirit. The fourth and final principle we see is the responsibility the responsibility. While we are to rely solely on the Holy Spirit to do this work in and through us, there is a responsibility that we have. Verse 25 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What is the responsibility that we have? We have the responsibility of keeping in step with the Spirit. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit plays a significant role in the sanctification process. Sanctification is a giant word that means the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. The moment you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and he begins to do a work in your life. And the work that he's doing in your life is making you more and more like his son. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that this is the goal of the Holy Spirit. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. What is the same image? Image of His Son. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We must be willing participants in the sanctification process. And we battle daily hourly, minute by minute, against our flesh to allow the Holy Spirit to do this work of sanctification. And can I just tell you something? This is often a painful process. Many times, sanctification is not fun. Revealing areas of your life that needs work is not always easy to receive. But we understand it's for our good. It's for the betterment. It's to work in, in, in a way in which leads us to godliness. We understand this in many aspects of our life, right? We take tests. Those tests reveal our insufficiency of knowledge, and it presents for us an opportunity to get better at the, wherever we're insufficient. The same is true of the work of the Holy Spirit. When, when God reveals something to you and it's painful, listen, that's a good thing. You say, why in the world is that a good thing? Well, it means God's not done with you yet. He's still working on you. You're a work in process. You're under construction, so to speak. We are responsible 
to allow the Holy Spirit, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So then how do you know if you are in step with the Spirit? How do you know if you're being successful there? Well, you're in step with the Spirit when you allow your character to model Jesus' character. Paul mentioned the fruit of the Spirit. The byproduct of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you know that you are taking your responsibility of keeping in step with the Spirit uh, seriously when you are becoming more loving, when you are becoming more kind, when you are becoming more joyful, when you're more peaceful, when you're patient. I had somebody come up to me today and said, Pastor, this week I prayed for patience. And I said, oh, Lord, help you. Don't pray for patience unless you want God to try your patience, right? We're becoming more of those things, more faithful and more self-controlled. I heard one pastor say this week, when we keep in step with the Spirit, we may regularly find ourselves choosing to do things that we probably wouldn't do ordinarily. Things like choosing to give more time to something holy or more money to someone in need, or or we might reach out and care for others, we'll certainly have more of a hunger for God's Word and for worshiping Him. Are you becoming more like the fruits of the Spirit? Now listen, I know and understand there's no such thing as perfect. I'm not perfect. I don't think that that's the expectation from God because you and I can't be perfect, and we will not be perfect until we reach glory. But the question is, is, are we moving in that direction? Are we becoming increasingly more like Jesus? If you are, then you are cooperating with the Spirit and He is leading you down that path. If you are not, then you need to wonder whether or not you're keeping in step with the Spirit. And here's the good news. We don't have to become like Christ on our own. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not our job. Our only responsibility is to allow the Holy Spirit to do His thing. And He's really good at it. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to transform us to be more like Christ. Let me see if I can illustrate this for us this morning. Consider flying on an airplane. When we step onto an airplane, it is not our responsibility to get to our destination. Unless you're the pilot, right? Now, if you're the pilot, then it's your job to get to the destination. But for those of us that are not pilots, our responsibility is to simply show up on time, present our boarding pass, and get on the plane, and allow the pilot to take us to our destination. The same is true spiritually speaking. If we are to become more like Christ, it's not our job to get there. It's our job to surrender our lives to Christ, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and to watch Him get us there. To watch Him lead us through the process of sanctification. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. 
please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.